Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton... McCurdy. Along the game was tonight, Bruce. All right. It was a fabulous hockey game that the Oilers lost on a really terror <laughs> on a really bad play by a number of players. But it was a it, you know, the Oilers if you're gonna go out in the playoffs, Bruce, you wanna go out, you wanna leave 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 everything on the ice as this as the you know played their hearts out. And mm-hmm. um in the end, the, the Jets were the better team in the series. They outs they I think it was nineteen to ten for grade A chances, according to our count. Yes, it was. Uh, part in part because the Oilers tonight. missed the net night tonight. Oh, you know, and and overall the, the the Jets had an edge because of that in the series as well. In part tonight's um, so, um, because the Oilers missed the. Um, yeah, what, what's your general thoughts, Bruce? I'm just going to, we're going live, we're live here. So I'm going to, um, find this and tweet it out okay. to the game. I'm getting some real funky sound from your end at the moment. I'm not sure how well that's translating. I'm, I'm having my, my, uh, concerns about the, the quality of, uh, you know, quality control of this new platform we're using, to be honest with you. Okay, how's it? Me, my mic that was cutting out in, in the evening podcast, and somebody mentioned it in my in the uh, YouTube comment section. And thank you, whoever that was. Uh, and I listened through it, and it was it wasn't good. And the night one, and in the morning one, it was perfect. It was and I, same computer, same everything. You know, I didn't turn it off in between times, so I can't explain it. But anyway. Uh, my thoughts of the game was it was a marathon and I was I thought the Oilers would win one you know like you play three overtime games in a row the odds of it coming up tails three times in a row not good and the Edmonton you know they pushed the possession time and, and they had the puck in Winnipeg zone a fair bit and they generated a lot of shot attempts in this game indeed the spectacular total of 113 shot attempts by edmonton to a mere 89 by winnipeg but the shots on actual goal were 40 for edmonton and 43 for winnipeg because edmonton missed the net 26 times and they had a, a just a ridiculous 47 shots blocked by the jets the jets defenseman sticks were really really good throughout this series getting in the way of uh of uh, passing lanes, blocking shots, and poke checking guys that tried to make moves around them. And those defensemen sticks was like a freaking forest of uh, hockey sticks. And uh, uh, they thwarted the Oilers continuously throughout the games. And they played, uh, um, they hung in there long enough for the one big break that happened, you know, was it seven minutes into the third overtime? 6.52 into the third overtime that uh, the game was finally decided on a big break and a, a partial breakaway and a good shot that uh, eluded Mike Smith to put it away. And up until then, I was, you know, I was thinking the Oilers were, I thought they would 
pull one off in there in Winnipeg one way or another, but uh, it just wasn't to be. It was not to be. It was not to be. Alrighty, uh, Bruce, this is going to be, uh, well, this is our um, two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. And usually with an Oilers loss, we go with two bad things each, but we're going to go with two good things each because um, there was a couple of really bad things that we'll get at, but yeah, maybe we'll go with two bad things each as well. Two mm -hmm. good things each and two bad things each because it was Let's like two that. games anyway. That, yeah. that makes sense. It was. Yeah. So um, a lot of numbers for you too, if you want them. <laughs> Lots of crooked numbers on the event summary tonight. Holy moly. Yeah. Bit of an eye, bit of an eye popper. Why don't you start it off, Bruce, with a good thing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, well, one of those crooked numbers was uh, Darnell Nurse, who played 62 minutes and seven seconds tonight. 62 minutes. Darnell played, including, I believe, somewhere in the range of 34 in the three, uh, two and a half, two and a third overtime periods. I know he played 15-32, they said, in the first overtime period. Can you imagine he played 15 and a half minutes out of a 20-minute period, including a four-minute, four 47 shift that uh, uh, pushed Jason Strudwick and Taylor Chorney out of the Oilers' record books for longest shifts by an Oilers defenseman. Uh, and it was... Uh, uh, I admired his game tonight. I thought he, I thought he did a very good job. Very, very few mistakes. He played a good, safe game. He conserved his energy as as much as he could, and yet it wasn't like he just completely backed off. Like he would still um, uh, participate in the offensive cycle. But he picked his spots as to when to skate, and otherwise he just held his position and let the game come to him. And when he was on the ice, the Oilers had 64% of the shot attempts. 61 for 34 against but the actual shots this is a uh, this is another variation of what i said earlier actual shots were only 18 to 18 and that's in 51 minutes at even strength of course he also chipped in eight minutes and 13 seconds on the penalty kill and uh, about three minutes on the power play as well in all situations from uh, from darnell and and he uh uh Workhorse is an understatement for what this guy uh, was doing out there. I mean, throughout much of the season, but tonight, I mean, if you think 20 minutes is a normal game for a defenseman, he played three of them. And even by his standards, where 30 minutes is a long game, he played two of those. And uh, and he was uh, he was still bringing it. I thought throughout. So uh, uh, tip of the hat to Darnell Nurse. He, he was up and down in the series. I didn't think he was that good in games one or three. I thought he was fine in game two, and I thought he was very fine in game four. He was indeed. I was hoping but a Slater Cuckoo a little bit more, Bruce. I think that um, might have been like a good idea all? to... Mm -hmm. Yeah, like at all. And I don't... Um, he had been no. playing quite a good game. And he's a he's a solid player. He'd been as good as Russell, and um, you know he could have. I think it might have made a difference spelling off Nurse and Russell for the odd shift uh, in overtime, but yep. um, not to be. Bruce, my good th first good thing. And uh, the Jets, as we've said, fired 
19 uh, grade A shots at Mike Smith. Um, you'd expect normally. How many goals got by him here? <laughs> Four? Four. Four, three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this game's so long, I wasn't even paying attention to the score. It's just yeah. that it was tied forever. As the game <laughs> as the game went on, Bruce he got stronger, and um, with it, 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 his really strong play though starts with um, penalty right at the end of the first period, and the Jets got off four Grade A shots in that penalty. The Oilers were already down two to one, and right. uh, four Grade four Grade A shots. Um, uh, Shifley um, Shifley gets one. And then um, off that same shot, the rebound hits the Jets player in front and Smith makes another save. Then with just a few seconds left in the first period, Stastny breaks in um, uh, he, uh, down the wing and goes right to the net, kind of a, a mini breakaway, and jams it in the And uh, Smith stops him there. And then he stops Mark Shifley as well on the, uh, there's a little bit of a rebound, but, uh, but Mike Smith got that as well in the third period and this might have been his best save larson uh near the end of the game it's tied 3-3 this is after the horrible third goal against the oilers really the game-changing moment um late in the game adam larson rushes the puck in uh up the ice and he gets to the blue line and he turns it over there and it leads to a two-on-one against chris russell's back they're able to pass the puck cross seam. Russell isn't able to stop that. And Pierre-Luc Dubois gets off an absolute five alarm shot and Mike Smith makes the save. It was, it was indicative of his night. He just, he was there. And in overtime, just a number of great chances. Uh, Shifley had a one-timer um, on the power play in the first overtime that was fantastic. Uh, Nick Ehlers, I think, had one or two chances. And you can't, I don't really fault him on the winning goal. It was a kind of a breakaway shot, semi-break shot and, and a tough one. He's had a remarkable season, Bruce. Mm -hmm. He's been, he, he, without him, um, they couldn't have played Nurse and those other guys so much because him moving the puck um, right. saves a lot of energy for the defenseman. Okay. And a lot of defensive zone time is cut down because of him. So that enabled the Oilers in some ways to play 4D because he was moving the puck well. Now there's a couple iffy moments out there. There, there, there is sometimes. But so his really valuable contributions, that was a huge thing in a game that long. Him consistently moving the puck, getting it out now and then when he had to, shooting it up the ice. He was, um, I like this play throughout I know people were down on him after last game. They thought there was a couple iffy goals. Those were pretty tough shots. Every single one that got by Smith, I would mm -hmm. say. He's definitely earned, he, he'll be back next year. I don't have any doubt, Bruce, and he's earned another contract. I listened to Kevin Woodley, uh, the goalie expert, uh, who uh, is a weekly guest on the Jason Greger show on TSN 1260 uh, today. And he revisited a couple of those goals on Smith yesterday. And in particular, he looked hard at that tying goal that we talked about, of course, on the on the podcast at some length. Tipped and screened. Kuliarvi just tipped. And he talked about the double-wide flash screen of McDavid chasing Cop right through his line of sight just as the shot was being let go and tipped. And that uh, 
Uh, he basically said, and he's not a guy that sort of exonerates and whitewashes the goalies because he's a goalie. Like he, you know, he expects, uh, he, uh, I'm an old goalie of his own heart. I expect the goalie to contribute and I expect big things of the goalie and I'm not satisfied when the goalie's not doing his job. But on that play, like he described the technical aspects of how Smith could have played that differently and maybe made the save. And he said, you know, in the end, you know, he was in the right part of the net. He had his glove there. And, you know, the, the little tick was the difference between the puck going in the glove or going just under the glove the way it did. And, and uh, uh, he, you know, he just pointed out some of the chaos that occurs in front of the goalies that uh, contributes to uh, uh, contributes to these, uh, um, these um, ones that get by them from time to time. He, he said, you know, he thought Smith actually had a pretty good game, even though he wound up giving in five goals yesterday. So, you know. I, I agreed. I, I agree with that. I think people were too harsh on him. They're not, they're not thinking about, you know, I do think he might have had the last one, the Ehlers shot. He could have, yeah. it was off a face-off. He should have been out more. I think he should have had that personally, yeah. I think. But I, I think the other one was a was a very tough chance. We had another one just early on in this game where he he stopped a total screenshot. Like Tyson Berry and a Winnipeg Jets forward were in front of him, but so was Darnell Nurse standing tall and completely blocking Smith's. You know, Smith could see the puck, but it, he had to go to move to the other side to, to save it, I believe, on that one again. So just another big moment for him in a big... And um, every reason to think that he can come back next year and... Have a good game. Have a good season. Like, I think it's worth the bet on him. So hopefully the others are going to tie him up. Bruce, what's your second good thing? Yeah, well, a lot of foot soldiers, the ones who played, which in the end was uh, nine forwards, four defensemen, and uh, the one goalie that did basically all of the overtime with a couple of tiny exceptions on the penalty kill, which the orders had to kill two penalties while never getting a power play in overtime. Um, but generally it was the same three lines and the same two defense pairs forever and ever. And some pretty unexpected guys stepped up into those three line roles. I mean, Devin Shore played almost 25 minutes. You're going to talk about him in a minute. Uh, Jessa Pugliarvi played 23 uh, minutes. Uh, Kyle Yamamoto played 35 minutes. Zach Cassie in 28. The guy who I really liked in this game, Gaetan Haas. Uh, 22 minutes and 32 seconds he played, 38 shifts. He kept his shifts short. Uh, he chipped in on the penalty kill almost three minutes, and he would have chipped in more had he not been the guy in the box on uh, on two occasions. He, he did take two penalties, one for a trip and one for puck over glass, which is, you tough know, play. I don't understand. It's a tough, man, I, the game is so unfair. Like, a guy can be tackled and held in the corner for 40 seconds. I swear there was a shift where there was a guy who was just hanging on to dry sidle behind the net for 40 seconds, not a problem. And then a um, guy tries to play the puck around the glass and he misses the glass by an inch, and that's a penalty after, like, two periods of nothing. Like, I know it's the rules, but, I, I, you know, the rules themselves are the law is an ass in some cases, and that's one of them. I mean... It didn't decide the game, that penalty, and yet it did because it led to the sequence of pain in the end and the line change that uh, was part of the problem. But his game tonight, Gaetan Haas, I thought he was flying. Uh, I thought he was extremely committed to his game. I, if, if only the guy had some hands and could make a play with the puck. 
but he had he, he had the complete right across the event summary everything he had uh, a, a shot on net a shot that was blocked two that missed the net uh, no that's really good but i mean he's, he was active four hits one giveaway two takeaways six blocked shots including one absolute doozy a, a kick save and a beauty that uh, that um dealt with a very dangerous chance in overtime that would have been through a screen and Haas played goalie up top and kicked it out. Uh, six shot blocks, that's an exceptional number for a forward, even in a long game, you know, to, to uh, get in the way that often and a very strong 10 and 5 in the face-off circle and all of those numbers just say he was involved in, you know, every aspect of the game, but uh, I, I enjoyed his skating and just his responsible uh, play. And that's a guy whose future is very much up in the air. I don't know if the Oilers uh, uh, are thinking of bringing him back for next year, but if, the, if they're mulling it over, then what they might want to do is pull Gaetan shifts, uh, Haas's shifts out of this game and give him a real close watch because that's that, uh, um, you know, the breadth of his game was on display in, uh, in tonight's game. The coach, Bruce, like the best argument for him, year the coach really um and ryan mcleod he didn't trust ryan mcleod and um mm -hmm. you know ryan mcleod's i would i would work in progress i, I like uh, he's fast he's got good hands he he's not the defensive player that uh gaytan haas is gaytan haas is an outstanding defensive hockey player and he's such a weird hockey player let's face it we're dealing with a very odd hockey player super fast can pat make a pass with the puck can carry the puck a bit, can dump it, dump it in and forecheck, but for the life of him, he can't score. Um, but he gives up almost nothing in his own zone. He's just a, such a fine defensive hockey player. He can kill penalties, but he can't win face-offs. You know, so the people who really love the face-offs thing, that's a huge negative. But I think it's much, far more important, Bruce, for me, defensive slot. Like, make sure you cover that slot, and Haas does it better than any other center on the Edmonton Oilers. So, as a 13th or 14th forward, kind of in the Patrick Russell role, I would, I, I would, I hope he comes back next year. And it's going to, like, I think Kara's contract's up, right, as well. So, Haas's contract's up, Kara's contract's up. An interesting one. Kara does pr provide physical play. Maybe you bring them both back as, you know, your 13th and 14th forwards for next year and hope to so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm on team Gaytan for some, mm -hmm. like he doesn't, like, as we say, he does not score. Uh, moving on. Guy to like David, he, you know, like he's a, no, he's but a not very, I don't think he's a very honest, very honest worker. If he could go 10 and five in the circle every night, we'd like him a whole lot more, I suspect, but, uh, that's what yeah. he did so he, there was no shortcuts in his game tonight, and he covered the full 200 feet. Strong on the penalty kill, really good on the. Mm -hmm. Yep. Back. Depends who's depends who else is available, how much money they have, all those things. He he will come reasonably right. cheap, I'm sure. Bruce, my other and good thing was today, the play. By uh, the way, go sorry, ahead. Before we move on for today, that European that's we sort of put in the same vehicle as uh, Haas. Uh, is uh that was signed in similar fashion in the off season of 2019 where it came out today that he had signed a contract 
in the uh, back in the Swedish league. Unfortunately, his NHL opportunity ruined by a badly broken hand, which caused him lots of grief, a couple of surgeries still was a problem even this year and and so i don't think we ever did see the c capability of that player which is very unfortunate but he for sure is out of the equation for the oilers going forward yeah being some computer problems here and uh, cutting out so mm -hmm. yeah this new this new live thing bruce it, it works and it doesn't work it's it's caused uh, a little bit of problems here hope so i've changed my mic we'll see if that makes yeah. um we'll see if that helps We'll see if that helps. Alrighty. Uh, okay, my other good thing, Bruce, is the play of the 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 line that we saw mainly in overtime: Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Devin Shore, and Zach Cassian. As it went on, I was thinking, well, either Leon Draisaitl is going to score for the Oilers, or one of those three guys is going to score for the Oilers. It was Ryan Nugent Hopkins' best game of the season, mm -hmm. and I, I hope. I hope that he, um, you know, I hope he can come back on a short-term deal. I think that would be the best thing for him and the Oilers. I don't think he's earned a long-term contract. It's all year. He was driving the play. He was carrying it with confidence. He was, he was a center. He was what we, you know, what kind of a, we remembered of him and have, haven't seen that much this year. It's kind of been such a strange year for him. I don't know what's been going on, but we saw it tonight up and down the ice, uh, making defensive plays, attacking very well, so smart with the puck. And I I thought they'd make breakthrough. Devin Shore was that guy, the guy that we saw tonight. He was like this two-way monster out there. Uh, he got a breakaway late in the game in one of the second overtime that Connor Hellebuck, mm -hmm. Hellebuck stopped. Um, he broke oh, in for a shot. Poke checked mm -hmm. him, that's right. He broke in for a shot, just missed, he, he uh, just missed the net on it. Really dangerous moment. He looked like he was going to, like, he wanted to score and he was keen to score. Cassian. Um, Cassian again, because he's on a contract for long term. And um, yeah, he's coming back. He's coming back for sure. But he was puck protecting, he was hitting from Zach Cassian he was solid enough in his own zone so um that line uh didn't uh well Nugent Hopkins of course did score the great goal which I hadn't mentioned yet where he broke in took an outside shot got the rebound and put it off his skate and up up and backhanded I think it over uh over Connor Hellebuck great goal from Ryan Nugent Hopkins such a crucial goal too to tie that game you know, if the owners had gone down three to one, Bruce, I don't think they would have been able to claw their way back. So absolutely crucial moment. And I, I was kind of thinking the owners might be on their way at that point. Um, mm -hmm. But not to be. He Alrighty. also earned an assist on the uh, power play goal that gave the owners the lead, their one lead of the night at three to two. Uh, when he uh, uh, he teed up dry saddle and then Alex Chase on uh, was able to, to deposit the rebound and, uh, you know, go stick handle around uh, Halibut and tuck it home. Nifty play by Big Alex and what I foresee is his last game as an oiler, unfortunately, or depending on how you think of it. But anyway, he went out with a goal and then he went out sitting on the bench for the entire three periods of overtime. So there's that. Bruce, what is your first bad thing? 
Oh, yeah, I gotta go with that uh, the game tying goal. And it occurred, what, eight minutes or so into the third period? Uh, six minutes into the third period. Edmonton leading three to two. And they they earned the lead late in the second. I thought maybe this will be one of those games where they can just nurse that one goal lead down the, the stretch. Maybe we're happy it's not a three goal lead like last night where everything will come apart. But of course, the thing about a one goal lead is that it only takes one mistake. And boy, was it a doozy. Uh, uh, unfortunate um, uh, pass right up the middle of the ice by Ethan Bear, where two jets were lurking, and the second of which stepped into the lane and picked off the pass before it reached the order that it was intended for. Uh, but because it was up the middle, as opposed to around the boards on either side, immediate chaos uh, ensued. And Slater Cuckoo, um, Bear's partner, uh, tried to make a hero play where he, you know, when the, when the, when the jailbreak came right back at Edmonton's net because it hadn't even cleared the zone. Um, Cuckoo took a slide at the puck carrier and missed him. And the guy made, you know, make, guy made a good move and Cuckoo was out of the play and scrambling. And it wound up that the puck was in the middle slot and there was two Oilers there that couldn't ha couldn't couldn't intercept the pass, but they were kind of in position to try and block the shot. And the guy in the middle, whoever made the pass, he faked the shot, and it was uh, Kyle Connor. Go figure. And he faked the shot, and he slipped it over to Mark Shifley and Ethan Bear, who was trying to recover. Originally, he had Shifley. And then he saw the shot develop and he bit totally and he went in the middle and there was three Oilers, one, two, three. You could have thrown a towel over all three guys trying to block the shot that never happened. And Connor slipped it over to Shifley on unmolested blast, one-time blast that beat Mike Smith to tie the game at three to three. And that kind of started it, David, because it wasn't just the goal itself, but the what, what happened in the aftermath of it. Uh, Dave Tippett sat down uh, Bear and Cuckoo for the entire rest of the game, with with one exception in the third overtime on the on the on the penalty kill. Bear got a shift then finally. Cuckoo never saw the ice again, and to me, he made the sort of the lesser of the two errors on the play. But from then on, it was like four defensemen the whole way, and it was four defensemen for the last 14 minutes of the third four defensemen for all of the first and second overtime. And it was just, uh, 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 it was like the final straw with Tippett. And he decided that the, the only way to deal with it was to nail his, uh, his third pairing to the bench because they'd made a mistake. And I, I think that the other pairings really paid a, a price, uh, you know, in the excessive minutes they logged. And you could make a case that, uh, uh, those excessive minutes had something to do with the ultimate game-winning goal, especially Adam Larson's um, uh, role or non-role in it. But. Yeah, this um, this this is my bad thing. I just think there was a few things that Tippett did that I, you know, so my bad things kind of run into against the power play goal that Winnipeg scored. And for some reason, you know, Connor McDavid hasn't been killing penalties all year long, and he was out there on the penalty kill at the end. At the end. Mm -hmm. And he just was unable mm -hmm. to make the play. You know, I, it was dry side. 
Thank Leon was out of position as well. He, he it was a clean entry, and he he went toward he, instead of stopping and starting like you have to do on the PK. He did a big swoop, and he took himself out of the play. And McDavid the middle of the ice, and um, he doesn't get his stick on the cross seam shredder. I think it was was it Shifley who scored that goal, and I don't know why McDavid's out there at that moment. Why? What's that all about? You haven't been doing that. So just, and then the, you know, the collateral damage of the Ethan Bear goal. Uh, mm-hmm. It meant Cuckoo, who was playing a good game and has been the guy who who's earned a contract for next season. Um, it, uh, it's, uh, it's inexplicable to me in some ways that they wouldn't go to him at least now on the, uh, in the overtime, people are complaining. I got a, uh-huh. oh, well, whatever. You go, David? Can you hear me now, Bruce? Here, I'll try. Yeah. Okay. Oh. You were there for a minute. I don't know if we're going to be able to keep doing this, Bruce, because uh, anyway, we go back to the old Skype thing for the, because uh, we don't have to go live. Uh, there's no more live events to cover. Uh, no more, anyway. No more games, eh? Until, no uh, more games. And I don't know future. why. I don't know why in overtime, like, why not? Like, you're running these forwards. Why not give Kara a shift with... Uh, you know, sit Zach Cassian for for a little bit, and put out Chase on right, with with uh, with McDavid or with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Shore. Why not try that just for just to give someone a break, and because the other players were they seem to be lagging so much and so tired, um, were, that I just think if you had had fresh people out there, Bruce, it would have made a huge difference. So. I know that Tippett didn't want to make a, he, he wanted to go with the, the guys he trusted most, but at sometimes at some point, if the guys you trust most are playing at 50% of what yeah. they can bring. And so is the other team. And you can take advantage of that. Why not try to take out, advantage of that? Put out Peter Klima. <laughs> yeah. Or Cam Connor, like that, you know, that yeah, famous yeah. goal that we've been hearing about yeah. lately where he, that he scored for the Montreal Canadiens. It was his only shift of the game in overtime deep into so that was an awfully conservative move by the coach. And I think it, the orders hardly got any scoring chances, Bruce, in overtime. I mean, what did we have it at? Um, I'm not even sure. Two or three or four. Yeah. Well, in they, overtime. Got, they got 10, they got 10 in six periods. I mean, that tells us a tale, doesn't it? They had four grade A scoring chances in overtime. Now they missed a lot of shots too. So you factor that in. No. But this wasn't great. So anyway, the McDavid shift on the penalty kill, he came out at 6.04, which was uh, with 30 seconds left on the penalty kill. And it's long been um, Tippett's strategy to put McDavid and Drysaddle out there uh, at um, right after the penalty kill. And sometimes he cheats a bit and gets them out there just a few seconds before. Uh, but this is twice in this series that they got burned for a goal against at the end of a power play, uh, his two uh, high-scoring forwards. And uh, McDavid, uh, uh, he did get shredded for the pass there. I, I had a different view on Dreisaitl's role in the play, which 
I didn't have a serious problem with with uh, with what Leon did, but uh, uh, but McDavid certainly got beat by the cross ice pass there, and you're you are kind of wondering why are those guys out there? You know, there's still 20 seconds left in the penalty kill, 30 when he came out, and they quickly scored. So that didn't end well, and that's kind of on the coach. I agree. I agree. Do you have another bad thing, Bruce? <sighs> yeah. Um, well, I kind of, I kind of morphed into it, I guess, when I talked about the, you know, the, um, you know, the extreme shortening of the bench with, you know, nine forwards and four defensemen, and I guess I get it down the stretch of a of a game, but when the game has sort of an indefinite length to it in the future. And you got fresh bodies sitting on the bench. I guess, you know, the coach is between a rock and a hard place. So I'll grant that. Like in game two, the orders lost in overtime when they had uh, one of their weaker lines on the ice and, the, and they got burned for, uh, uh, for the game-winning goal against that night. And probably that's kind of set the coach's mind on, I want, you know, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose with my best. And he did lose with his best. But uh, Winnipeg was... Uh, you know, their defense was a fresher group, and I think that's probably why they blocked more shots and created a little more, uh, you know, were, you know, more hard on the man, close to the man, and, and uh, not allowing much in the way of penetration. And I'm not going to say that any of the four orders defensemen who were playing played bad, because they, they honestly didn't. I thought they were all fine. But there was an energy but budget that was constantly getting... Uh, overspent just want to see how chris russell did here according to our uh for a yeah i thought uh i thought the owners they really miss chris russell this series i know not everyone thinks that but i, I kulikov is a good player chris russell's a better defensive player and um he it would have been good if he was in the regular rotation throughout this series and it's good to see him back in the game tonight, and I'm glad he's back on a contract for next year because is a is a spot player that they can use now and then, you know, as at their the seventh right D price. man at the right price next year. Finally, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't think he's been a huge overpay Bruce in his contract. I think maybe this year wow. you could say he was, but until this, even and even this year he was often playing in the top four. I mean, what's the going right for a top four defenseman who's who's outstanding defensively? He was a bit overpaid, but uh, it. I don't he, think he, significantly, not significantly this year. He's been well, uh, you know, he, they, they, they really uh, gave him a serious haircut down to 1.25 million. And at that, at that price point, uh, he's not a bad insurance policy to have, you know. Yeah. And he brings lots of game. You know, I didn't notice him really making any mistakes tonight. And he was a little bit involved in the offense. He made some... Uh, uh, some decent breakout passes. There was a time or two where he just dumped it out to center and came right back in, and you're going, oh, yeah, there's the Caroline Cowboy we all know and love. But there was no starfish. There was no sort of big emergencies. And he tried to get involved in the offense. And in fact, he had one very dangerous chance where he, he ripped a rocket slap shot off the can of uh, Blake Wheeler, which was a dangerous shot if it had gotten through, but even just sort of ringing up like Mike Wheeler it wasn't the wasn't the worst thing that could happen I mean credit to Wheeler he got he got up and and made his way off and made his way back into the game but uh 
uh, he paid the price for his team. Let's put it that way. And a lot of Winnipeg guys did. I mean, let's tip our hat to the Winnipeg Jets. They they uh, were a very tenacious opponent, and uh, they played well enough and got enough breaks that um, you know. I, I honestly think they could play this series 50 times and it wouldn't be a sweep more than two or three times, but this happened to be one of them. Either way, I don't think the Oilers would sweep the Jets if they played this series again either. I just think it would be 2-2 after four games in the majority of them. If you had 100 trials, 60 of them would be tied 2-2 after game four. Well said, Bruce. That's exactly <sighs> right. It's, such is life. So such is life. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Here's my second bad thing. The Oilers are out, second year in a row. They got to the postseason. We've been just begging for postseason. We got there once in the in the prior 15 years until last year. And then, of course, last year we had this unnatural long wait before they started hockey again. Bam, in a week it was over. And we had all these high hopes the Oilers would win the first series, maybe maybe pull an upset in the second series, and they'll go in a little bit deeper into the playoffs. Bam, out in seven days last year. This year, again, starting as a favorite in their home rink. Bam, out in six days. Like, it's over. Like, it's playoffs. I mean, last Wednesday morning, I talked on Low Tide's radio show on TSN 1260 in my regular Wednesday morning spot. And the playoffs hadn't even started yet. And this Wednesday, like, day after tomorrow, I'm going to be back on there, and we're going to be talking about the season already being over. The playoffs just done, just gone, up in smoke in six days. That's a bad thing. It's terribly frustrating. There are all these long waits of finally playing meaningful playing hockey, and they can't win a damn game, right? They're one and seven under Dave Tippett in the playoffs, and they're two and eleven in their last thirteen playoff games. Two and eleven. And you know, you know the Jets. Losses galore. They lose almost all of those losses in all three series for by one goal, but losses. Losses, losses. The Jets, um, the Jets have been a pretty good team for four years mm -hmm. now. You know, mm -hmm. in 27 oh, 18, sure. they had 114 points. They went to round three of the playoffs. They mm -hmm. lost in round one uh, the last two years. So, After you know, the maybe they've been through, last year. maybe they've been through um, some learning experiences, some tough times, and they just, you know, because this was an incredibly disciplined defensive effort by the, the Winnipeg Jets to stop the Oilers. The Oilers are a high-flying attacking team, especially with Connor McDavid out there and mm -hmm. uh, and Dreisaitl, and they just did a stellar job defensively, and I think it just finally probably, they're going to beat teams in the playoffs. They they play strong defensive hockey, and they certainly did that. Let's move on to the numbers, Bruce. My number, Bruce, is 25 and this is the weirdest, one of the weirdest shifts. <laughs> and it had to be Ethan Bear, poor Ethan Bear. He gets out there to kill the rest of the penalty, just with about, like, there's only like 10, 15 seconds left in the penalty or when he, when he gets out there. And he immediately makes a great play, stopping a mm -hmm. slot slot play, and he gets it to the side. And he's showing all kinds of energy, and he gets the puck, bams it out of the slot, and helps, it, helps him get it out of the zone. And he's, but immediately... He's called off to the bench. And I don't know why, Bruce. I don't know what, like, what is the thinking behind that? Just let him ha ha have a shift. Play yeah. a shift. He's got all was. kinds of energy. Yeah, good idea. Yes. <laughs> he's ready to come back, redeem himself. What yeah. happens in the meantime is he's heading to the bench, called off the ice again. 
actually get off as fast as fast as you possibly well we we you have to assume he had to get off the ice because why else is he getting off the ice after he's only been out there for 20 seconds you know he hasn't mm-hmm. played a full shift yet so um mcdavid carries the puck in and he doesn't get it deep he, he made error of this idea that they're going to have a quick defensive change and get someone else out there and but he mm-hmm. fails to get it deep and they they pick up the puck and a crap out of position he he's they're all mm-hmm. tired by then and he's not reading the play right maybe he thinks maybe he's unaware that ethan Bear- line change and and um kyle connor gets the the breakaway pass and he's gone he's gone beats mike smith so a bad line change uh, you know th- right. four mental errors connor mcdavid not getting it deep Adam Larson not being aware a line change is going on and not co- not covering the the breakout. Ethan Bear bad line change and the coach that moment like I I just think these were they lost the game on mental errors and that's a tough way to lose a hockey game but that's how it happened. Yeah, well whether it was, you know, hard and fast instructions to get off as being the third overtime being an even numbered period in the game the sixth period it's a long change, and the, the long change has been a killer for this for years. And t- tonight, it actually killed the Oilers' season. Bear uh, uh, went to the bench when it looked like McDavid. Had, you know, he came into the zone with full possession, and he tried to flip it into the corner behind the defenseman. He got nothing on it. And Pionk, to his credit, he was able to stop the puck before it got behind him, and he quickly just dumped it up the boards. And there were Kyle Connor, who had been out there for the power play for quite a long time, and he was dragging his butt. And that's why he was like 100 miles behind the play coming back. And all of a sudden, the puck comes out to him, and he's behind everyone. Because Adam Larson's crept up, as you say. Bear has changed on the far side, like Larson's on the, or sorry, Connor's on the penalty box side, Kyle Connor, where, you know, where our Connor, McDavid, had made his own entry on the penalty box side. And Bear made the change, of course, on the player's bench side. And Tyson Berry, he jumps on for, for Bear, but he has no chance. Like, he, he busts his no. ass to get over there as much as he can, and he turns it into a partial breakaway. Basically, he forces Connor to shoot the puck from, you know, a little ways out. But Connor, being a good goal scorer, he makes a good hard shot. And Smith, I think he guessed a little bit with his blocker, and he started to move his blocker, and then it got right in between his blocker and his body and through. And, and yeah. at least, you know, at least it was a clean goal, but you can look at it and say, oh, a few things went wrong. But I guess when you've been playing hockey for 107 minutes by then, you know, mental errors are bound to creep in when you're playing with heavy legs and stuff. And this is where... Some people, and, and I may join this chorus, will criticize the coach for shortening his bench too much and leaving fresh legs there. And, and that, um, that's part of the reason that they, they, they had this mental error, was say, you know, a couple of mental errors, because they had too few players with too much ice time. Yeah, you're right, Bruce. Like, Connor McDavid, like, it's his... He just seemed exhausted at that, at that moment. And Larson is just, they've been out there forever. So he did throughout overtime. And I thought he got slashed on the hand at one point in this game, uncalled. 
and I didn't think he handled the puck all that great in the late part. And I didn't know if, I, if his legs and his hands were tired or if it was he had he'd taken that slash. He also took a wicked knee-on-knee -knee hit that somehow got completely missed by the officials. And, and they kept calling it a hit on the broadcast, but it was knee-on-knee. -knee. There's an excellent slow-motion replay on Twitter that shows, you know, this was nasty. This was Dylan DeMello, and he, you know, he came in, stuck his knee out, and got Connor right in the knee. Luckily, he got up from that. That was a frightening moment, but that sure in the hell should have been a penalty. Nope. So, it, uh, anyway, he, so he was, uh, he'd taken a couple of knocks by then, and anyway, he just couldn't get any mustard on that puck to get it deep, and either he should have just hung on to it, or else he, you know, he should have got a little bit more weight on it, got all the way to the end boards. But maybe he didn't know that, you know, there was a change going on on the other side of the bench of the ice behind him. He had no real way of seeing it. So, who knows how much uh, uh, communication was going on? Yeah. What's your number, Bruce? Yeah. Oh man, number. Uh, so many, so many numbers, so many numbers. I think I'll go with 22, uh, which is the number of shot attempts by Leon Dreisettle in this game, 10 on goal. She had 10 shots and Hellebuck stopped all 10. Eight that were blocked by the defense, four that missed the target, including a couple of doozies in overtime where he, he did have a clean look and they were hard to come by. And his his one-timers were off the target. But when he, he did fire some great shots like he had one absolute rocket coming off the left wing that practically knocked Hellebuck over it was like a bazooka shot it and hit him in the left shoulder and oh, yeah, that was one. able to fight that one off and and that was a, that was a rocket and leon like he played an uh, he played a whale of a game 44 minutes 37 seconds about a minute less than uh than mcdavid and I mean, otherwise, I mean, Nurse, I mentioned already, 07 is a number that stands out here. The guy literally played over an hour of hockey in what's scheduled to be a 60-minute game. And so there's there's lots of crooked numbers like that on on tonight's sheet. So let's take those. Already, Bruce, I think we should shut her down now. Did you have a number? Did you go first on numbers? Yeah, I gave the 25 for Ethan Bear's oh, shift. Oh, right, right, 25 right, right. seconds. Yeah, so, so. 25 seconds for Bear's shift, 62 minutes for Darnell, and <laughs> one shift of 447. So it was it was seriously imbalanced, and that's one where I think rightfully Dave Tippett has a couple of questions to answer, and maybe he already has in the post-game scrum. Yeah, that's why I say Bear had to have orders to get off the ice fast, I guess, because why else do you come off after you've been on the ice so short? There's no other reason. So it was not great. Yeah. Of all the things, a long change, triple overtime, killer. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you that with Larson and McDavid, the, the mistakes that were made on that goal might have been partly in large part because of fatigue mm -hmm. fatigue makes cowards of us all i don't think they were cowards that's the old vince lombardi quote but uh i i just think fatigue makes people make make have make them 
make mistakes and make errors that they wouldn't otherwise make. And that was starting to happen with regularity. Um, so, alrighty, Bruce. Oh, this was the first time Edmonton got swept in a best of seven series since 1999 when the future Stanley Cup champion Dallas Stars took the Oilers out in four extremely close games uh, with the fourth game going even longer than this one. That one ended at, I'm pretty sure it was 57 minutes and 34 seconds overtime. Longest game in Oilers history. Tonight's was the third longest. The Peter Klima game was second. And that was where a shot from the point, Zuboff maybe, hit Joe and Joe Neuendijk in the shin pads and bounced in to end a long, you know, like the Oilers gave a valiant attempt and they just came up just this little tiny bit short in every game. And they lost that finale uh, uh, after, you know, almost three full periods of, of overtime. So it was about 10 minutes longer than tonight's game was. So then, like now, they gave it, a, you know, they gave it their all in the last game. And I'm reluctant to really criticize the effort that the, that the team put in tonight. That, uh, you know, they gave it everything no they had. Yeah, no, I would not criticize the effort. I mean, it was, that was what was fantastic. Yeah. If you're going to go out... Um, it's, yeah. it's, you know, you worry that they would get blown out and would look bad, mm -hmm. but no, they just really worked right to the end and they're mm -hmm. there as a team. Um, there's a few pieces missing and, um, hopefully they'll get there. Anyway, we will be talking about that. We don't have to talk about next season. Uh, we, we've got a long time to talk about that now. Bruce, a long so can... summer again, David. Hey, the good news is this, the Bakersfield Condors are into the next round of the playoffs. I understand. Good. So yes. maybe we'll be watching those games, uh. We'll see. All right, Bruce. Baker, thanks for Bakersfield. Okay. Bakersfield won tonight in overtime. They won yesterday night in overtime, and to overcome the the loss in game one, so they they just barely won the uh, best of three semifinal series. So now they're in the in the finals. Also best of three, so it'll be quick. But uh, at least we have that to watch for next little bit. Maybe Ryan McLeod will go back down play for them. Maybe he will. Thanks for talking, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.